Hello, and welcome to another episode of the B2B Founder Podcast. I'm your host, Brett Trainer. Today, I welcome Dan Hill to the program. Dan is a PhD, author, speaker, trainer, and an expert in the area of reading emotions and decoding facial expressions. He's consulted over 50% of the world's top 100 companies. He's been on Good Morning America, The Today Show, Fox, CNN, ESPN, has also been featured in Time, Wall Street Journal, and even the front page of the New York Times. Whether you're founder just starting out your business or your business is really starting to scale, Dan's insights could be a differentiator for you. The ability to understand another person's emotion is incredibly powerful. In this episode, Dan breaks it down and helps you understand how to apply this in your startup. This includes sales as you're prospecting, customer experience, customer success. You know, are your customers truly happy? You should be able to tell within the first you know, 30 seconds, you know, if they're engaged or not. The co-founder relationship and not least important is you know, employee engagement. It will sound intuitive to you when we go through this discussion, but so few people actually use it. The world, business or personal, is all about people-to-people connections. I found this really a fascinating and interesting episode. The time flew by. I hope you enjoy it. And as a reminder, if you listen to this podcast, Please subscribe on your favorite platform and share it with your friends and colleagues that might enjoy it as well. Thanks for listening. Now, on to the interview. Hey, good morning, Dan. Welcome to the show. Well, thank you so much. Happy to be here, Brett. I'm super excited about this this episode, and I can honestly say after 50 plus episodes, we haven't spent a whole lot of time on emotions and the role in business, so I'm excited to have you on it and talk about that, but to get us started, will you mind just giving us a little bit about your background, what you're working on today, and then we'll, we'll get into it. Sure. So I'm a specialist on emotions, and I apply this in lots of realms from speeches to my eight books to market research that's more EQ, emotional intelligence oriented. So that's kind of what I'm up to as to background. You can be really good at this, Dan. Just don't tell anyone you haven't done any of this stuff before, because I was working directly for the CEO in charge of branding and speech writing. And then ultimately, I started my own company. And that's 20 plus years now you've been running? Your that own is about 21 years, yeah. Okay, and that's mostly market research? It has historically been market research, but I also have done a lot of commentary on political campaigns, for instance, for CNN and Fox and MSNBC. I've done work in pro sports, which was covered on the front page of the New York Times for helping them with draft choices and trades and team chemistry. So the great thing about emotions is quite honestly, they go everywhere. That gives me license to roam the field. I'm a former soccer player, so I, I like being able to roam the field. Interesting. And I know I was going to start with a question, but you've already led me down a, a follow-up question. I'm just super curious from an athletic standpoint and the emotions, you know, what if it was it, uh, you didn't say what pro team it was that hired you, but just curious, what did they hire you? What were they looking for when they brought you into, was it interview their potential athletes? Well, the, the, probably the most prestigious of them was the Milwaukee Bucks one year had the number two pick overall in the NBA draft. And, you know, historically what happens so many times is you screw up the draft pick, you got this big winning lottery ticket and you throw it away. So they had a, a range of possibilities. You know, I wasn't, you know, choosing who was going to be on their finalist list of candidates, 
but I gave them my assessment by reviewing the videotape of who I thought they could go with and who they really shouldn't worry about not going with. They didn't have the number one pick and the Timberwolves here in Minnesota took that and that guy didn't really, you know, play out very well and moved on to another team now. And that's what I told him at the time. I said, don't worry about the fact you didn't get that guy. He does not have broad shoulders. He is not going to bring you a championship. Uh, super interesting. We won't call him up, but I think I know who you're talking about. But yeah, and, and again, I think that's a, and maybe not the segue, because I still want to, you know, dig into one of your quotes to start this off. But, you know, from business, right, from customer standpoint, employee standpoint, and investor standpoint, being able to read and understand, it's got to be a huge value to folks. Oh, absolutely. I mean, you know, you have to read your prospects, you have to deal well with your customers, who you hire, how you treat them, how they're responding to you. I mean, loyalty, you know, is a feeling, basically, when it comes down to it. And without that, you don't have a business. Oh, fascinating. fascinating. So that's a great way to, to start us off. And like I said, I mentioned the one quote I heard you say were dollars and emotions are the two currencies in the world. And I'd love for you to kind of dig into that, explain what you mean, and then we'll kind of transition into the, the business world of, of how we can apply that. Sure. Well, dollars are pretty obvious because we trade them and, and you know, get services and goods in response. But what people often don't realize is that emotions also get traded. Emotions are incredibly contagious for one thing. If you feel something, it's quite likely that the other person's going to feel it in kind or at least react to it or against it. And so it's amazing to me that we're not more literate about emotions because, you know, we get robbed all the time emotionally by other people because, or we rob ourselves because we don't understand how the transaction's going down. You would never fail to distinguish between the difference between a $5 bill and a $50 bill. But how many people really understand, you know, what are the triggers to anger? When is it positive? When is it negative necessarily? Disgust and contempt, they're both aversive emotions. There's actually a real difference between them, not only how they signal on the face, but what they mean for you in business. So those are the kinds of things I'm hopefully we'll touch on here today. Yeah, no, absolutely. And and maybe that's even a good way. Let's let's dig into that a little bit because I'm thinking about it from the the founder perspective, right? And we have either folks that are looking to start a business, have recently started a business, or they're starting to scale their business. <laughs> and I think, you know, the amount of time that's I don't want to say wasted, maybe it is wasted, you know, looking at just the data versus, or maybe I'm looking at data, not even paying attention to the emotional side of this and just thinking, looking at it from an outcome. So if I'm a founder and I'm looking at emotion, you know, what's the best way for me to start thinking about this as I'm looking at my business? And it would catch a little bit with the, with the prospects overall. And then I do want to get into kind of the prospect side of this, how to make my you know, sales efforts a little bit more effective. Well, you know, trust is the emotion of business. I, I didn't invent that term, but the opposite of trust is, is contempt. I don't trust you. I don't respect you. And I find you beneath me. So I happen to be not just an emotions expert, but there's a good tool that enables me to be effective in using emotions. And that's called facial coding, because with your facial expressions, you give away what's really going on for you. And if you don't trust or respect someone, what you will show is either the corner of the mouth will lift up and out in a smirk. Think of Snidely Whiplash, the old cartoon character. That's the embodiment of contempt. The other way it can show is if the upper lip flares, but unilaterally, which is to say more so on one side of the mouth than others. 
Both of those are really, even just physically, as if you are distancing yourself, moving away from somebody. Therefore, it shouldn't surprise you that contempt is the most reliable indicator that a marriage will fail. At the University of Washington, Seattle, they have something called the Love Lab. They use facial coding with troubled couples, and they have a 90% accuracy rate whether or not the couple will manage to stay married. And contempt is the most reliable indicator that will fail. So if it doesn't work very well in a marriage, guess what? It's not going to work very well for you with, you know, really important lieutenant, you know, employees in your company or with a customer or prospect. If you read that signal, it's quite toxic and means you're going to have to try to repair the relationship pretty much immediately. Yeah, no, interesting. Uh, so as you were thinking about that, I was thinking about the, you know, the co-founder scenario, right? Yes. <laughs> you hear a lot of breakups and I could imagine they would predict with pretty good certainty if, if that relationship's going to last as well. Yeah, um, no, it can be very fraught. Yeah. Interesting. And then I think too, maybe we'll work our way backwards and, and move to sales afterwards. But I think from a customer success standpoint or customer retention, I get the sense and history has told me that a lot of companies are really bad at understanding the true feelings of their current customers. And maybe, like I said, maybe before we get to new customers, let's talk about, you know, what's a good way to approach our current customer base to make sure that they're not just saying they're happy, <laughs> but really try to understand, you know, if they are and if they're at risk versus just the traditional, hey, we delivered for you. We'll talk to you next quarter. Thank you for your time, right? Exactly. The feedback loop is absolutely essential when you're starting a company. I mean, every step you're making is building your brand equity. When I started my company, my father, who was a 3M executive in charge of 3M printed post-it notes, production, sales, and marketing, I said, okay, let's sit down. I, I want to know what's your, your short list of the vendors you didn't like at 3M and why. And his number one piece of advice when we got done, he said, never perjure yourself, you know, and, and listen to your customers well. They will tell you what business you're in. Where did they find value? So if you bring that back to facial coding, there are seven core emotions that we can pick up through facial signals. And those are happiness and surprise. So the first one is positive, the second one essentially neutral. And then you have five negative emotions are often defined as negative emotions, anger, sadness, fear, disgust, and contempt. In other words, emotions help us survive and thrive because one of the things we have to know is friend or foe. And in the case of a customer, have we turned a friend into a foe just by chance because we didn't really fulfill what we were offering them? So I've already covered contempt. Disgust is kind of its first cousin. You know, something smells bad, tastes bad. For instance, the nose might wrinkle, that upper lip flares. That's not a good outcome. That means they are moving away from you rather than towards you. But maybe it's also fear, for instance. Maybe you left them, you know, with a difficult task to explain the value of the project to others inside the company, including their boss or their boss's boss. That's not a good place to have left them. So maybe that's what they're picking up, you're picking up in a meeting or a phone call or a Zoom conference call or whatever. If it's sadness, it could very well be disappointment. You know, it didn't really quite get what I was looking for. You left me not really supporting me. So I feel lonely or I feel, you know, helpless because I'm not sure how to take forward what you just gave me. Anger could be, you know, anything from I'm confused by your deliverable to I resent you because the price was too high and the value was too low or I'm not able to make enough progress with what you gave me. 
So all of those signal different things. And that's really what's important about emotions. It's not just good emotion, bad emotion, pain, pleasure. That's a valid place to start. But each of those five emotions I just gave you have really fairly distinct sets of triggers. And it takes you deeper to understanding what's going on in that relationship that you want to hold on to. Yeah, no. And I think, you know, you, you touched on, you've just briefly mentioned Zoom calls, right? The the world we're living right now is very much remote and virtual and Zoom has become, you know, a core. But I've historically found that customer success teams don't spend, one, a lot of time in person with current customers, two, definitely not with Zoom calls, and three, maybe it's an email or a, a quarterly review if you're good. But, you know, based on what we've talked about so far, I think Definitely with my core customers or my top customers, you know, at minimum, we need to be having Zoom calls so you can get the full sense and try to read emotionally where they're at. Is that a fair statement? Oh, absolutely. You want to know if value was delivered. Is there a tweak that you should make going forward someplace where you fell down and you didn't recognize that? I mean, it's, it's hard for people normally to tell you the truth because they don't like the confrontations. It's easier to go along to get along, but you know, there can be fatal moments and you really need to dare to have that conversation. I have a good friend who had worked at major ad agencies in New York and LA. And he tells me this wonderful story about they were going to lose a key account. They just really hadn't taken care of it. They hadn't interacted very well. And one day someone tells him on the phone, Joe, you guys are going to lose the account. We don't like anyone at the company anymore at the agency, except you. You're the only person we still like. And Joe said to them, well, just do me a favor. The day the shoe is going to drop, give me a phone call. So sure enough, he gets a phone call one day and all he hears is the torpedo is in the water. Dick, you know, the phone call. <laughs> you don't want to wait for the torpedo to be coming toward your ship. You really want to handle it earlier. And try to get out in front. Yeah. So maybe this is a good point to you know, maybe from a tactical standpoint and, you know, your 20 years of research probably can't distill it into a couple minutes, but if, you know, I am a customer, I'm a founder, right? Right now I'm very engaged with both prospects and my customers. I'm asking questions, you know, what they like, what they don't like. Is there kind of a, you know, entry level tactical approach that you could recommend just so people, one, pay attention to the, the emotions, right? You probably sense the, the more, extreme <laughs> but is there a, a way you'd recommend for people to start adopting this into their basically their day-to-day -day routines well you know at this point having run it for 20 years i decided to go ahead and publish a book called famous faces decoded and i use celebrity examples but what i really did was give you the secret sauce on two key things so yes on a superficial level you can just enjoy the stories about hollywood stars and, and athletes and politicians and business people and all that but really what i was trying to do was first of all educate people on emotions what the triggers are what they involve and then to say what are the signals by which they register so I'm giving people the secret sauce so that you can apply it in your business, your poker game, your marriage, your dating life, what, you know, playing team sports, whatever the case may be, because these are really valuable signals. There are 23 signals. It's not infinitely difficult to learn them. 23 signals, seven emotions. You can make a lot of meals out of those ingredients and you really should. So I think the book is a good starting point. And then, you know, maybe you apply certain ones better than others, but let's give you a really easy benchmark to start from. 
Your emotions turn on when something matters to you. Actions speak louder than words, and the lack of action is bad news. We all know as a business founder, if they don't return your phone call, if they don't respond to your email, you're in trouble. Same thing if you get into a meeting and there's no action on their face. You know, they've checked out. Elvis has left the building. I remember landing a project from Toyota, and I was in the pitch meeting, and there's about seven, eight people in the room. I'd figure out who was the real decision maker. About a third of the way through the meeting, he was like starting to check his emails, drifting away from me. So as I was still talking, I said, what in the world am I going to use to get him back? Because there's no emoting happening. I found something. I said it. He put away the email. He started paying attention. I got the project. No, that's, that's fantastic. And I think there's a lot of business out there to be kept and won by, you know, applying this or utilizing this within your, your, the business world specifically. And, you know, one of the, I had a guest on recently, David Primer, who's, I don't think that episode's aired yet, at least not when we're recording this, but, you know, he is all about, you know, sell the way you buy, right? hundred <laughs> percent agree, right? You that's buy good. a certain way. But one of his big takeaways that I took was his recommendation to founders is, look, as you're starting to scale your sales team from you to others, because as a founder, you can sell with confidence and conviction, right? Yes. If I, you and I are in that and, end, and if you can't, just, you're in trouble. <laughs> very, you're probably in the wrong, wrong spot. But where a lot of these businesses fall down as they're growing is they can't translate that conviction and confidence to a sales team. And so I think you tied it in perfectly. If you're in a meeting with folks and I'm the sales rep, right? And I'm trying to share with you or dialogue and I don't even have confidence you know, or conviction in it, then it's going to be really hard for you to, to see that. So um, one, I think that's a good transition. Let's, let's talk about this on the sales side now, right? As both ways, right? So we've talked a lot about the emotion and reading the emotion on the person across from you, whether it's in person on video, but, you know, things that I should be doing, you know, as a sales rep, talking to prospects, talking to potential customers. And then also, I think a lot of what you just talked about applied, if they're not engaged, then you don't have them hooked, right? So early yeah, no, on, no, you're going to no, know yeah, if no, you have- Nothing's happening. Yeah. Oh, I think the first thing there in terms of that sales meeting would be you do want to get them to smile. I mean, smiling is not a trivial activity. Happiness, the underlying meaning of happiness is to hug or to embrace. You want them to hug or embrace your branded offer. And so you need to get the smile, not, not due to a cheap joke necessarily, although that, that can work sometimes. You want the affinity. So I think one of the real problems that companies make is they come into the meeting. I remember when I was in corporate life, before I started my company, we had a company come in and pitch us. They went on for like 25 minutes without asking us a single question like, how's this going? What do you really need? Are you following what we're saying? They just kept you know, spewing words you know, left and right and center. It was just way too much drinking from a fire hose. I like to open a meeting like, you know, where are you from originally? You know, where did you grow up? I'm looking for some way in which I can relate or connect or tell an anecdote or a favorite person of mine came from that same, you know, community or state or just something of something. So I get a little more sense of who they are because you, you are selling to somebody or a team of somebody's you're not just selling to a corporate logo. Yeah. And I've heard you say, you know, it's not B2B, it's B2P, right? You're selling to the person. You are, in fact, you really are. And you want them to smile. You want them to embrace you. Emotions, again, are contagious. You need emotional momentum. 
yes, I understand you is a great way to get started because eventually you're also going to want a yes to, I can live with that price. I, I can accept that timeline, you know, those resources being applied to my project, you know, so build some smaller yeses that are more intimate and then move to the yeses that feed your bottom line. Yeah, that's, I think that's, it's really good advice. And well, I don't have to tell you that, but, but, you know, I, I'm just thinking about the sales meetings I've in or, or groups that I spoke with and the ones that have gone really well is where we do have a connection early and it you don't have to spend 30 minutes building no. the rapport. It's just, yeah. How do we connect that we can, you know, kind of break the barrier a little bit that said, Hey, you know, we're in this together type of a thing. You know, it's not, I'm not the big corporate guy coming in to, to sell you this. Let's have a conversation, right. More along those lines. And, you know, I think it's so powerful just going back to, if they're not, if you don't see the, see the emotion, you're in trouble, Yeah, <laughs> which yeah. good and bad to save you a lot of time, right. If you don't think there's any way back, you don't have to continue pursuing, you know, certain accounts or prospects based on that. But you know, really taking the time to build a little bit of rapport, which I think is a lost art these days, because especially as we look at inside sales organizations or just, you know, smile and dial and are you interested? No, onto the next call and try to, you know, get that one out of a hundred where if maybe you put a little bit more time into it and tried to connect with that person, it's going to pay off. Yeah, no, those first two minutes, maybe you, you may think you're wasting time. Those first two minutes of building rapport may be the most important two minutes of the whole pitch meeting. Sometimes you have to go slow to go fast, ultimately. Yeah, I 100% agree with that. And again, and there's probably no one answer to it, but I'm guessing it's, you know, not talking necessarily about the weather, even though it isn't equal, very different parts of the country you can talk about it. Is there or is it really digging, is it doing a little bit of homework first to understand a little bit about that person so you can ask the right question or? Uh, well, if it's not where they grew up or from, you know, you know, how long they'd been with the company, where were they before they were at the company? Was, you know, this where, you know, they thought their career was going to go. I mean, usually there's an interesting story there somewhere. Obviously you want to be careful never to give offense by chance, but you're, you're looking for some detail that gives you a sense of the person, maybe of their values how they make decisions, you know, just give them a way in. The journalist Joan Didion used to say that her favorite thing was just to get with a person and basically ask them one question and sit back and not jump in too quickly with the next question because you never knew what they might say. And if you just go down your, you know, your question sheet, you're going to get rote answers. And again, that doesn't create emotional momentum. Or that connection. No, you're absolutely right. And I, I still keep coming back to if they're not reacting emotionally, <laughs> then they're, they're not in on it. And I think, you know, even thinking about what you, you talked about with the closed loop, I know we're kind of jumping around a little bit, but this is kind of where it came into my head as you're dealing with customer success, talking about customers, why they bought from you. If you're just talking about, you know, did you buy because of this feature feature? And they'll go, yep, yep, this is what I needed. But if you can get them into a dialogue that's talking about emotionally what problem that it was solving, you can see them, their energy levels rising or more engagement, you're going to be much closer to the real reason, you know, they may have bought or didn't buy from you versus just going through checking the boxes, right? Sure. And I'd even take it further than that. I mean, you might sell them based on needs, but what you really want to do is sell them based on wants. Because a want is certainly emotional. The need might be a little more functional. They'll pay a premium for the wants. The wants may tell you where you can take your business next, 
how you can price in an extra feature, upsell them, not, not in an egregious way, but in an organic way that actually reflects what your customers are seeking. And so th those feedback loops are fabulous. And if you can't get it, you at least have to try to project what you think went on, but that's not nearly as good. The conversation you really like to have, but you can't usually get there is the customer who you know, falls away from you, the, the defectors, the, the non-repeat business. There's a lot of learning there. And if you can find any way to get that, um, it's painful, <laughs> but it, it is a learning experience and you can grow from it. Yeah, I'm a huge advocate of, you know, win-loss analysis and customer experience analysis, which is a little bit tougher. And I know this is probably <laughs> definitely in your, your background, but the win-loss, I think, is such an underappreciated tool, especially early on to understand, to your point, why they bought and maybe, well, this one defect, but why they didn't buy and do you have thoughts on if, you know, me as a founder having those conversations or is this better coming from a third party that can take some of the, even though we've been talking about putting the emotion into it, take some of the emotion out of it from the buyer or the would-be buyer to be more honest with, you know, why they made their decision? Well, it, it is true that it's going to be hard for someone to necessarily tell the founder of the company, you know, your baby's ugly you may get more truth, you know, intermediary is handling it. On the other hand, you don't necessarily have to, thanks to facial coding, depend on the words. You, you can take the facial expressions that reinforce the words or even the kind of silences if you ask the questions. So I'll give you an example. Anger is a really prevalent emotion and it can arise simply out of confusion, in which case you might see, for instance, the eyebrows knitting together and lowering, kind of, you know, puzzled. On the other hand, if you see a bulge appear below the middle of the lower lip, that's a really reliable indicator of pretty strong anger, as in probably resistance and maybe even resentment. And you have to try to walk them back out of that. I'll give you an example where I failed. I was up in Canada. I was meeting with Home Depot. They had an incumbent supplier. I was trying to dislodge that supplier naturally, or at least work myself into the rotation, as it were, if I was a baseball pitcher. I must have pressed a little too hard because at one point, suddenly I saw that expression and I went, oh, egads, I'm in trouble now. I tried everything I could to assuage that directly, indirectly. And I thought, nah, I'm probably sunk. And I was, he, he did not respond to my phone calls or emails. So that's not as bad as the toxic smirk of contempt, but it's in the ballpark and you, you don't want to get there or go there. And if you do, you have to try to resolve it as best you can. So that anger can be the real pushback. It's worth paying attention to. Yeah, no, I think it's, that's so good. And I know what's, you know, on my reading list this weekend is the book on the facial recognition, because as you're saying it, it makes perfect sense, but I'm not even thinking about looking at that in most scenarios, it's, you know, probably like most of us are thinking about what am I saying next versus looking at the, you know, being tuned into the other person to see how they react. I don't I like to think I'm not blind to it, but I know it hasn't been a priority. I would say we're, we're relatively blind. I mean, you, you may be given your, your inclinations more sensitive to that than some, but we're all fairly poor. You know, there's that wonderful cartoon from the New Yorker where one woman says to another, but enough about me. What do you think about me? And, and way too many pitch meetings are like that. The company just goes on and on. What you really want to be is more like Sherlock Holmes. You want to 
pick things up. You want to look for the clues. And a lot of the best clues are in your face. Somebody smarter than me once said that the most valuable 25 square inches of territory in the world is from your eyebrows down to your mouth. Because our faces are so rich with expressions. And yeah, you know, what's more fundamental than friend or foe? I mean, nothing. Certainly not in business. You're with me, you're not with me, you were with me, you're not with me now. You're gonna throw me under the bus. Boy, all these things are helpful to know. Oh yeah. And I, what a competitive differentiator, right? Being in splitting my time between enterprise and startup. And I know a lot of folks are not paying attention to this. And I've got to believe the ones that are have an advantage over other other folks, right? Oh, absolutely. Otherwise, it's kind of like you're in a boxing match with you know, one hand and probably the weaker hand. I mean, why would you dispense with a whole channel of information that's quite possibly more relevant and more reliable? And I say that in part because we are primarily emotional decision makers. We lie to ourselves and say, I make rational decisions, but we are triggered by resentments and greed and hopes all the time. And they warp and influence how we make decisions. We are feeling machines who occasionally think as opposed to the opposite. Yeah, and that's, that's, that's interesting. And, you know, one of the things I've been advocating as, even to your point on the B2B is more B2P, but in the B2B world, you've got maybe multiple influencers, different buyers. And I know a lot of people approach this as, to your point, features and benefits that we have you, that can help you. But if you look at it from a problem solving standpoint, it's really understanding your audience, right? So knowing that the buyer and the user may be two different people and that conversation is going to look and should be very different, right? Because you're really trying to address different issues. Well, and we haven't even gotten to another aspect of this, which is differentiation. There's a real chance that your features and benefits are not unique, that they've been me to by the opposition or you stole from them. And, uh, what you can get through facial coding is a different kind of differentiation. I have a unique relationship with you. I got you. I understand you. I create a sense that you can trust me. I mean, that's invaluable. And, you know, to the extent that you are better than the other pitch artists out there in the same category, that's the kind of differentiation you can hold on to. Because again, to my earlier point, loyalty is a feeling. Don't give anybody feelings you wouldn't want your have yourself is what Jeffrey Gittimer says. And I think it's a wonderful expression. Yeah. And I love that quote. Loyalty is a feeling and remember that from a customer success, keeping customers and, you know, so good. And, and maybe this is a good transition point into, you know, we've talked a lot about from customers and prospects, but then looking at our own employees. So if I'm starting to interview folks and I want this skill set of the people I'm bringing on, is it easy to identify as you're hiring? So there's two parts to my question and I'll let you take it either way. So if I'm bringing in folks that have this skill set, one, and then two, and it's probably a broader discussion is, you know, how do I use this when I'm engaging with employees or, or people that I'm bringing on? Does that make sense? Yeah, I think so. I, I can certainly take on the first. And if I fail to get to the second one, you can bring it back around for me. So I was just on the phone a couple of days ago with a woman from Romania and they do hiring. That's, that's basically, they facilitate hiring into the customer service space. And she said, you know, we, we've got all of our, you know, do you have a skill set, this aptitude? And we run them through on a fairly rational basis. And we have a 40% churn rate within three months, 40%. Our, our clients are not happy about that. 
They've come to live with it, but they are not happy about it. We are looking for a solution. And uh, so we're in conversations because, you know, most employees actually failed, not because they don't have the skill set or can't nominally learn it. It's because there are emotional difficulties. You know, they're not motivated. They're, they're fearful of making decisions. You know, they get into a squabble with coworkers, boss, they're unreliable for showing up in the morning. I mean, there's all sorts of emotional elements to this going on. And so, yes, you know, it's very hard in a 15 or 30 minute interview with someone where you're going to plopped out a whole salary on them and maybe stake your company's future on them. Man, that's pretty high stakes poker. And it, it's tough because they're going to play it as a poker game. They're going to try to give away as little as they can and as favorable to them as possible. And you're trying to read the tea leaves. So, you know, as a founder who's hiring people, interviewing people, you know, good luck. If you've never been lied to in life, congratulations, including on a resume that's padded. You've got to figure out more about who this person is. My favorite first question which I stole from a friend in New York, is to have them describe how their mother would describe them. Because they wouldn't expect the question, typically. You know, that relationship to their mom, you know, that mom has a vantage point. <laughs> and you're going to learn a lot about, about their, their ties and affinity because you're now stepping in as a, I guess I can say almost a surrogate parent. You're going to lead the relationship in a manner of speaking and try to nurture them within the company and I think that's a question or some derivation thereof really maybe get you some fresher pager than just, you know, waiting for them to disrupt the obligatory answers that they have ready. Yeah, no. And I'm going to steal that from you. I'll give you full credit, of course, but I love that question. It's so good. <laughs> I'll, look for the, I'll look for the royalty checks. Because <laughs> I think it's so disarming too, right? It's not the typical... I'm motivated and blah, 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 all the, the check the boxes. And it really gets in. If they have trouble answering it, then there's one of your potential signals, right? Yeah. And if, and if it's too personal, go that, or you could, you could say, you know, someone from their childhood, you know, that was important to them. I mean, there's ways which you can deflect it on the directions if you need to. Yeah, no, that that's really good. And I know I'm going to be sensitive to your time. We're starting to run out and I still I got a few more questions for you. But then looking at it from, you know, my team as a founder, it may be me and one other person as we get started, but I start to grow, bring folks in, you know, look for these types of skill or maybe more of a quality that they have. But then I've got to communicate with the team, right? And I've seen more often than not poor communication, right? It's one directional. We're going to do this. And those teams don't do very well where, you know, some of the founders I interview quite a few of the B2B founders that have scaled. And it's really more about the culture. So I guess where I'm trying to go, is there a, a distinction between creating a culture and, you know, the, the quality of having the emotion with, within the company? I'm not asking that very well or for articulating. Oh, no, no, no. I, I understand where you're going. I mean, the truth is over time, you know, all sorts of things build up in a relationship, whether it's a marriage or whether it's between a boss and an employee. They're kind of like the barnacles that attach to the side of the ship. And there ends up being a lot of them over time that you have to try to pay attention to them, actually. You know, one thing is you don't ever want to, ever want to call someone out in a meeting and create embarrassment. That ties into fear. And one of the outcomes with fear, of course, is that you freeze and you want your employees to be engaged and moving forward. So that's a bad place to take them. They also will not forget nor forgive you for having embarrassed them in front of others. So anything that is significant really does need to be taken offline. And then you have to show some flexibility. If you can read how they're feeling 
then you have to try to respond in kind and, and meet and match them. One of my sidekicks in the company who's been with me more than a decade, I know that he doesn't always handle stress well. So I have to try to shield him from the stress or forgive him if he doesn't handle it well. But he does all sorts of other things, just great. He really does. And I value the fact that he'll also, at this point in the relationship, he'll tell me when he thinks maybe I'm rushing a decision. Not the best one. It doesn't fit my character or the needs of the company. And I value that. And I tell him that I value that. I don't just take it and run with it. I, right. I, I acknowledge where it came from and that I appreciate his honesty. The moment you start squelching the feedback loop and the honesty, you're losing a good portion of that employee's value. Yeah, and they're going to cut it off, right? As soon as they feel there's not value, you're not listening, they're not even going to bother anymore providing it. Yeah, interesting. All right, so the last big question <laughs> for you is, you know, EQ, I don't call it a buzzword, but there's a lot of folks talking about EQ and the power of EQ. I love your, your definition of it. Is it everything what we've just been talking about rolled up and having an awareness of that, or is, is it a difference between EQ and, and what we've been talking about so far? Well, the first thing is that people are relatively emotionally illiterate. I have at many conferences given people the seven or six core emotions and a one word definition and just say, let's just do the matchup. I'm not even going to give you like an extra option to make it confusing for you. Just a simple matchup, six to six. And the accuracy rate's about 35%. 35% with only six options. I mean, that's astonishing. So EQ is really, I understand what emotions are. <laughs> I value emotions. I factor them into how I interact with the world and I apply it to myself as well so that I have a richer understanding of my motivations and, and you know, how I'm tracking. And so those are the things that need to be done. They just don't happen very much. Now, and again, going back to my point that, hey, this is a huge competitive differentiator for you. If you as a founder can figure out and, and build it into your company and your culture, it's especially in the, to your point, everything with technology and price. The two things I always say, right, if, if you're differentiating on price or technology, it's a race to the bottom because technology can be copied quick and price, you know, everybody's going to match. So what are you doing that's, that's different? Yeah. And, and the feeling, the connection is different. It's going to help you with your, you know, sales pitch success rate. It's going to help you with employee retention, particularly for those people you actually want to retain. You know, some maybe you don't so much, but the ones you do, you better, better nurture that relationship. Yeah, no, so true. And again, I'm, I want to be sensitive to your time, Dan. So I know we've kind of bounced, I bounced us all over the place, you know, so from B2B founder standpoint, is there anything that we, we didn't touch on that you would recommend to folks? Well, I think there's one that's really pertinent to what's going on right now. So I happen to live in Minneapolis, St. Paul, the site of the George Floyd killing. And we, we have to talk about diversity. We're, we're on this conversation between two white guys, and, and that's fine. I'm not in favor of discrimination nor reverse discrimination. But we need to look at where the society is heading. And if you look at the younger workforce, those who are going to be you know, your future customers and your employees, we have a diverse world. And I think that if you're going to be serious about that, if by chance you are a white male founder, may be true, may not be true, you could be white female, et cetera, you have to be able to take in other perspectives. One of the things that really helped me is that I lived in Italy for two years when I was a boy. I did not know the language at first. I went to Italian first grade in a fishing village and waited all day for the math unit so there was something I could compete in. But that and my experiences traveling overseas have really helped me to appreciate that people come from different vantage points. 
And I can think back just recently to giving a speech in Silicon Valley, and I was asked to come in and talk on diversity. And there was real pain in the voice of the employees who came to the luncheon speech asking me questions. They felt excluded within their own culture. And you might be a startup, and that may not be a problem for now, but you know that company had been a startup. It was now larger, it had been successful. But if you can't include people, it's gonna come back to bite you. Yeah, and it's such a good point. And not only, you know, my experience shows the companies that I've been with that have much more diversity have performed better, you know, and it may be small, relatively small sample size, but I think all the research shows the more diverse, especially at the leadership level that you have, the better the performance of the organization, because it's not boxed in, right? You're getting different perspectives. Yeah, and you're gonna you're gonna need them. <laughs> you need you have to sell the different segments. You have to, you know, adjust over time. You have to evolve. I mean, there's just no choice. And if you look at the world, you know, when I was born, there was what two million two billion people. By the time I die, there's gonna be about nine billion people on the planet. I'll just stick with with white guys, for instance. We we are a tiny portion of the world's population. You know, uh, white people alone are only like nine percent of the world's population. You know, I have to be a straight white male. That makes me about 3% or 4% of the world's population. You cannot run a business based on only trying to go after 3% of the market, most likely, unless you're extremely well niched. Yeah, niched. Yeah. And that's getting harder and harder to do. And yeah, I think one of the, I would say advantages, one of the uniqueness of my podcast is I've been able to interview founders, you know, kind of across the globe from you know, India, the UK to Australia and just getting different perspectives on how they run it. Because there's really not, like to your point, unless you're super niched, <laughs> you are going to be a global business and you're going to have to interact. And, you know, earlier in my corporate career, we had global offices and frankly, most of the time it was a mess, right? There was not a good way to tie it. It almost felt like separate companies, right? If you were running it, you know, country by country, then there was, you know, nothing at the top. At, that was tying it together, or if you tried to run it from the U.S., you know, that doesn't work very well. So I think to your point, if we can build it in earlier in your organizations as you're scaling, it's going to be a, a big benefit. Yeah, no, you know, the easiest thing, we used to have a joke when I was in corporate life, you know, that the next consultant we hired amazingly always looked just like the VP who signed off on the contract. You know, that, that kind of mirroring does not really give you fresh thinking. No, that is um, so true. You need other perspectives. That's excellent. I think that's a, a great point to, to end on. And I always do like to ask one final question of all my guests and that what's one thing that you would highly recommend? And I said, it could be personal business, just you know, maybe something you're doing today that you would recommend other, other folks. Sure. Well, my answer is going to actually play off my last comment and it might seem rather bizarre. I would say once a month at a minimum, watch a foreign film because it makes you go out of your own skin into other lives. And I like a movie better than a book because we're highly visual creatures, which is why I'm a facial coder. And it makes you live in their shoes. And you really should walk a few miles in someone else's shoes at least once a month. Yeah, that's really good advice. And I can honestly say after you know, closing in on 60 episodes, that's the first time somebody's given that advice, but it, it is good to get different perspectives are so, so important. So. Dan, I appreciate it. And like I said, I'll link to your books and website in the show notes, but what's the best way for people that want to learn more or reach out and connect with you directly to track you down? 
Sure. The single best way is my website because it's got all sorts of things about my upcoming activities, my own podcasts, my blog, my books. So that's the obligatory three W's and then sensorylogic.com as in your five senses. You also find my email address there and so forth. And folks listening, highly, highly encourage you. Like I said, I could have probably kept Dan on for three hours to ask my, <laughs> all my other selfish questions and learn about it because it's fascinating and powerful. So, so take advantage of it. And Dan, thank you again for your time. I really appreciate it. And maybe we'll circle back with you in the, the future to check in to see you know, how the world's adapting to the new remote workforce. Sure, be happy to do that. Thanks for your time, Brett. Awesome, have a great rest of your day. Thank you.